Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. But today we continue in our series on joy, and uh, I just I finished reading a book called The Mayflower. Um, historical but written in a in a kind of a novelesque type way and what what was very interesting was the puritans and the pilgrims their little differences and all in uh, the founding of this country and all and and one puritan thomas watson said this talking about god he has no design upon us but to make us happy who should be cheerful if not the people of god <laughs> I think that's that's a fabulous word. And if you know, uh, probably you don't know a lot about preaching history or evangelist and all, but there was a very famous uh, Englishman named George Whitfield who came to America, preached up and down the coast. He actually came through our area all the way back in you know the mid-1700s, made his way through. And um, George Whitfield said this, Is it the end of religion to make men happy? And is it not everyone's privilege to be as happy as he can? Does Jesus want your heart only for the same end as the devil does? To make you miserable? No, he only wants you to believe on him that you may be saved. This, this is all the dear Savior desires to make you happy. That you may leave your sins to sit down eternally with him. And so Whitfield was pretty much a kind of a, you know, groundbreaker in the way that he preached and all that he reached people. Did you know he even came through our area? He came up to Little River. This was in 1740. He came through Little River. And, uh, and I love this because as much as George preached that, listen to this historical account of when Whitfield came through our area. And if you're from Little River, you're going to love this um, if you live up in that area. The Reverend, this comes from Catherine Lewis, who is kind of a local historian here for many years and all, but uh, the Reverend George Whitfield arrived late in the afternoon on New Year's Day, 1740, in the village of Little River. He found the inhabitants celebrating with fiddling and dancing. The preacher exhorted them to abandon their frivolous ways, but met resistance, particularly from one woman who urged the fiddler to keep playing. <laughs> keep doing it. <laughs> Nevertheless... His preaching finally resulted in the baptism of a child. Satisfied with his result, the preacher retired. As soon as he closed the door of his room, the fiddles began again. <laughs> Whitfield spent the night but shook the dust off his feet the next morning. When his progress along the King's Highway led him to the strand, his anger evaporated at the sight of the majestic ocean and the porpoises, probably dolphins, porpoises at play beyond the surf. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what I find incredible is we get so mixed up on exactly what is happiness and what is joy. Like one minute, it's like this, and the next minute, it's that. I mean, to me, if George had come, had, you know, he had come across this small village in Little River, this, and it's very small then, right? Then it, the fiddlers, he could have just joined in and began to tell them, you got a lot more to dance and fiddle about than you know, and then had them tell them about Christ, tell them about what he has done for them. 
But this didn't have any uh, bearing on what God eventually did because 22 years later, another English pastor named John McDowell came through this area, came through Little River, and on May 9th, 1762, he had the largest congregation that he had ever preached to in North America. And so 22 years later, you know, people were, were responding to the gospel and all. So joy has just been this... Um, Sometimes not that joyful of a topic in the church, in the subject. We, we get confused sometimes about it. We're going to be over in Ephesians. If you have your Bible and you want to flip over there, if you flip your hand out over, the scripture is on that other side. It's going to be up on the screens as well. But Ephesians 2, that's in the New Testament. It's a letter written by the church, early church leader Paul uh, to a church in a town or city, a good-sized city named Ephesus, called Ephesus. And uh, so we're going to read this, then I'll pray, and we will jump into it. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Don't let all of that throw you when you're reading the scripture. He's talking Jewish versus non-Jewish or Gentile groups. And since the Jewish heritage, uh, there had been an, an outward marking of who belonged to God. And now Paul knows that in Jesus Christ, God is drawing the Jew and the Gentile together. And so he's trying to bring them together. And he's trying to say, hey, that was an outward marking. Now it's a marking in the heart. God has come to reconcile people to himself through Christ. So he's, he's making this appeal. Uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm calling this you know, joy in our salvation or finding joy in our salvation. And if you would, would you pray with me this morning? And we'll look at this for a few minutes. Father, thank you uh, so much for your word. Thank you for uh, documentation and history of your hand moving here in our area, uh, Lord, so many years ago. And thank you that you have given us this amazing book, the Bible, Lord, which tells the story of your love for humankind, of sending your son Jesus to come and reconcile us to yourself. Lord, I pray that you give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes and that you help me in my own weakness and that you would breathe life on your word, that you would open our hearts, Lord, to that which you want to reveal to us today. And I pray for those, Lord, who have not found that place of freedom and forgiveness and hope in you this morning that may be here with us. I pray today that they would be apprehended by your love and your presence. Would you come and do that, Lord, and, and teach us along the way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think one of the banner ways that we can stay joyful as we walk through a life sometimes fraught with lots of challenges and losses and, and pain, is that as followers of Jesus, we can look back and remember from where we came. And I want you to notice in this verse a few things, three things particularly, and your first feeling is this. We can remember where we came from where we came. That is, where did we come from? I mean, if you're a Christ follower... There's nothing wrong with you looking back over your life and going, wow, I remember what it was like when I didn't know Jesus. I remember what it was like when I didn't have him, when he didn't have me. 
when I wasn't there in the palm of his hand. I remember that. And this is what Paul is telling the Ephesian church. He's like, remember where you came from. Remember that you were separate from Christ. Remember there was a time when you didn't know Jesus, that you didn't experience him. You didn't realize that he was closer than a brother could be to you. You didn't know that. Remember that. Recall that. Uh, when you're having times where you have these stale times in your life, it's a great thing, a wonderful thing to recall those moments. And I, I know this is not popular today to say that um, Jesus is unique and that uh, I know that it's more popular to say that, you know, you find your own way to God in whatever way is, is a good way. But friends, that's not good news. <laughs> it's just not good news because I, I got to tell you something. If I'm left to too many choices, I'm a typical male. I don't do anything. <laughs> you know, if I go into a store and there's 45 different choices, I walk out confused. I'm sorry. It's, it's just like, it's why I like to wait till Christmas Eve to shop. Um, yeah, you just, you know, why? There's two. I like that one. I'll take it. You know, it's like, no, I, I'm making fun, but. But think about this. God cleared it all up. He cleared it all up. Instead of us being left to our own devices, to our own methods, to our own uh, whims and, and all, he said, I'm going to do something that nobody else could do. I'm going to send my son. Me. I'm going to send me to you in order to breach that gulf and to forgive those sins that have separated us to make it in such a way that indeed you will not be separated anymore from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, right? But through, I mean, through the Son. There's no way to get there. And, and some of us read that like it's a harsh, fundamentalist type of a statement, but it's not. It's a joyful, absolutely freedom ringing statement now the confusion is over now all of the hypothesizing and all of the you know what do I do what do I believe I look at a God who loves me so much that he sends himself and his son to die for me I mean if there was any other way if there were lots of ways if there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, why would he send his son to die for me? Why would he do that? I mean if I had an alternative, right? I wouldn't do that. I would do something else. I would say go try that. Go do this. Go do that. Make your way to me this way. But I would never unless it was the only way do that. And that's the depth of love and it's, it helps our joy especially in times of distress and times of maybe loneliness to remember. You know, there was a time where I wasn't that close to God. That that breach had not been healed by Christ. And, you know, here's another thing too about um, remembering where we come from, that if we can remember that we've been reconciled to God, then a lot of the distinctions that we have that kind of tear us apart in our fellowship and all don't mean as much as we think they do. Because God is the unifier. Through Christ, he unifies us. It's, you know, it's not our political persuasion. It's not our race. It's not our financial status. But when it all comes down to it, it is like I've come from this distinct piece and part to I am a part of the family of God. And when it's all said and done, that's where it's going to be. And then, you know, I think I've read it in the scripture, of course, but 
I was having a really tough kind of uh, time once and uh, more than once. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, I felt the Lord, Lord say to me, he asked me this question. He said, how did this all start? And I said, me and you, Jesus, me and you. He said, and that's where it's going to end. That's where it's going to end. You know, I'm going to carry you right on in, right on in to, to where you're headed for eternity. And at times when we're down, at times when we feel like we've lost our joy, man, what a wonderful thing to remember. To remember the grace and the mercy of God. To remember where we've come from. I don't think Paul strayed very far from this. He called himself the chiefest of sinners. The guy that wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. And I think he said that because he knew that in his past life, too, he never forgot that he had hunted Christians down and he had had them killed and jailed. And now he was such an advocate and he loved Christ and he's planting churches. And I don't think he ever forgot that. I don't think it tormented him, no. But I I think he knew where he came from. And I don't think that's a bad thing for any of us to remember where we came from with Christ. It's, it's a good thing to know he's carried us through so much. Remember, we were separated from God's family. It says excluded from citizenship. That means we may have been running around trying to get connected, trying to be a part of something, and we didn't have, we didn't have this community to be a part of. And yet in Christ now, we don't look from the outside in. We are on the inside. You've ever been out and wished you were in? And that's why I love... I love the church. I love the church. I love the local church that, that says, come on, you know, welcome. Come, come. Don't sit outside and look through the, you know, the windows. Come on in. Come on in. And in, in Christ, where we've come from is we were on the outside at one time. We were looking in, but now we're not. We're a part of a family. We're a part of a community. Um, one of the studies that, I, that I've read in this whole happiness, joy study was in Harvard, they surveyed 1,600 students uh, on a predictor of happiness. And they found out that it wasn't their GPA, it wasn't their SAT scores, it wasn't their family income, it wasn't their gender, it wasn't their age that made them happy. You know what it was? The social support they had around them. The people that came around, the people that were there, that support that they felt. And I, and I read the, these statistics to you that 48% of people who uh, attend a church service or some small group Sundays or whatever, at least like two times a week, they're 48% happier than someone who attends church less than once a month. That's only 26%. There is something beautiful and miraculous about being a part and not looking from the outside in, but being on the inside. That's why we have to work so hard at making room for one another. That's why we come together in small groups. We come together on Sundays. We come together at different times because we are happier when we do it. We're happier when we look each other in the eye and we smile and we encourage one another. We're happier when we say, would you pray for me? I'm having a hard time right now. We're happier when we when we're in one another's homes and we're having a meal and then suddenly you feel like, you know what, I can say what I'm feeling right now. These people are going to love me. They're going to care about me. It makes us happier and joy. And we have that. God has given that to the church as a part of our inheritance to be able to experience and to give away. And so 
Remember where we came from, and I mentioned last week, remember we were out without hope, and that's what Paul says in this as well. We were without hope. There was no hope for eternity without Christ, and now there's certainly a great, what's the definition? Expectation of good, right? Hope. Now there's a great expectation of good for us, for here and for later. So we remember where we came from. I, mean, I was talking to a friend of mine that um, he was a really good friend in high school, and after we played in bands together and on, he got on Facebook with me this week, and we were trading stories. He was just kicking the memories uh, at the Magic Attic, Battle of the Bands, all this kind of stuff, you know, and I was laughing. I was laughing so much, you know, and, and just thinking of those times, and, and it, but at that time, I realized in my time alone, I, I was very desperately hopeless. And I remember this time, I was laying in my bed as a teenager and in college and, you know, just wondering what's going on and there was, there was no hope. And I remember praying to God one time, going, God, if you're out there, please let me know it. Please just let me know it. And so it's good to revisit those moments. Next week, you're going to have communion. And when you call it approaching the table, when you take the elements, remember, remember, remember where you were where you are and who's with you and who brought you to the party. And then toast it. Toast it. Remember where we came from. That's one way to retain our, our joy. Your second one here is remember we were without God. We were without God, it says. And without God, Paul tells the Jewish Gentile believers, it was a time we were out. Now, he doesn't mean that what the... Uh, Church historians have called the Imago Dei the image of God. It doesn't mean that you didn't have that, that God's image wasn't impressed into you and, and that uh, you were designed and created by him and that you didn't experience it in some ways in your life, uh, his presence or his beauty or see him somewhere. But it, but it does mean this. You didn't have that relationship with God that you could have in Christ. You didn't have that. Jesus is the door through all of that. His price, his sacrifice, his love for you, what he did opens the door to that relationship. And Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, remember that. Remember you were without God. Don't get so haughty, Gentiles. Don't get so haughty, Jewish believers. Remember, both of you guys, you were without God at one time. But now, it's different. I mean, without Christ, we're, we're on our own. And so... Anytime we find ourselves, our joy waning, our happiness waning, we become a little bit was, was kind of desert-like in our sense of, of happiness. It's good to remember, you know what? I am not alone. I remember that time. I remember when I wasn't, when I wasn't God's. I remember when he wasn't a viable living uh, entity and personality in my life. I remember that time. <clears throat> Psalms 27.10 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. The Lord will hold me close. And so we revisit those times. We go back and I go, I remember God. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I, I do, this is not in my notes, but, and this is free. Um, <laughs> Some, last, last Sunday, I mentioned, you know, this book I want to write called Good God. Why isn't the good news 
good news to God's good people. <laughs> you know? Because some Christians are a lot more miserable than non-Christians. And uh, we shouldn't. We got, the, we got the best news in the world. I don't know why we're not as happy. But some of you get tripped up on sins and you get what the Bible calls besetting sins, things that recur in your life over and over again, right? And you start wondering if you even belong to God anymore. Can I ask you a question? Why do you think that bothers you? Why do you think that sin bothers you? Because God's in your life. <laughs> because God is going, that's not my best for you. If you could see that as a joyful reminder of God's presence and hope for you, and then that particular struggle won't be the focus. It'll be God's goodness that is the focus. And there'll be power in walking out of it. We'll let the devil push us, push us, and push us until we think, I'm less than. And the whole reason you're convicted or you have this feeling about it is because God is in your life. Because he's there. He's going, not the best for you, Tim. Not the best for you. Missing the mark, man. And I'm not going to let go of you until you get back on track. And I'm going to hold on to you. Come on. Come on. Man, I feel bad. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And you should. Because that's not the best. That's just not my best. So come on. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Look this way. The reason you feel like that is because you're mine. Because I chose you. I love you. I have a plan for you. So let's go. Let's get going. And things begin to change. You, you know, it, it changes. And so that's uh, just, you know, put that to the side if you need it. All right. So remember that there were times when we were without God. And, and so your last feeling is this. And so there's a big so... So, and Paul gets to the so moment right here. So, what does he say? But now. Can you say that? But now. I want you to remember those two words because anytime you get in a place where your happiness is waning and your joy, I want you to just say, but now. But now. Because this is exactly what Paul is telling this church. But now. It's like, hold on. Hold on. The way you were before you knew God, the way you were without Him, you were separated from Him, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you hear that? That's, is that like a, what is that, a past present verb? Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. I am so bad at English. I wish I was an English major. But having been brought near, it means you didn't do it yourself. You get this? It's like, well, I just decided. I, I just decided on my own. I was, it was me. No, 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 no. It's like a car showed up at your house and said, hey, come on. Get in. I'm going to take you somewhere. He brought us. But now you have been brought near. By Christ. You couldn't get there on your own. You couldn't get there. I don't care how much work you did, how much you tried, how nice of a person you are, were, how many good works you did. It was all just walking down the sidewalk that was going the opposite direction the whole time. But all of a sudden, up came the limousine. The door opened. And the Son of God says, I got somewhere to take you. Get in. I'm going to take you near to God, to my Father.
hop in. But now you have been brought near, near to God. He did it. He did the work. No longer estranged from God. Did you know that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you get to experience things that angels wish they could? Did you know that? You ever, it, it's in this right here. It's, it really is. It's in here. It's, it's in this book. You ever read it? It's right there. There's some great stuff in there. And, uh, but 1 Peter 1.12, written by, of course, Apostle Peter, said, Even angels long to look into these things. He's talking about salvation. Our estrangement from God and now our being brought near through Christ. The angels look on that whole process and go, Wow. Wow. Look what God, the Creator, has done and the Son and the Holy Spirit has done. Oh, man. wonder what that's like. To be estranged and then to be redeemed and brought back close and near to God. Even the angels are looking on what's going, man, you guys, do you know what, what's happened to you? Do you know what God has done for you? Uh, here's, a, here's another, this won't cost you either. This is, remember Jesus on the cross? Do you remember what the last things he said before he died? What It is what? What? Finished? You know, we need to start the day with a finish and end the day with a finish, don't we? We need to get up and go, it is finished. Now, some of you want to lay back down after that, but it's like, <laughs> even when you get up, when you realize, you get up and you go, you know what? God, he's done it. It is finished. All the travailing, all the work, all the turmoil and the toiling and the trying to get right with God and the worrying about this and eternity and what happens, it is finished. Start with the finish. Begin the day with it is finished. End the day with it is finished. Put ourselves in, a, in the place of joy and happiness knowing that what God has done through Jesus Christ finishes it. It's a done deal. Uh, Ephesians, the first chapter, is like one of my favorite personally self-healing passages of Scripture in the Bible. Because over and over and over again, you read about how much Christ... You mind if I put my glasses on? This is like small print. And I know I'm young, but you know. Uh, but uh, you, as you make your way through every bit of this, there are passages and places where you can just take... Put your own name in here. Put my, like if you're working through Ephesians 1, 3. All praise to God the Father of, instead of our, say my Lord Jesus. Christ who is blessed instead of us, me. Just to make it personal with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because I am instead of we are united with Christ. And you just keep saying that over and over again to personalize the scripture. But as I was reading through this again this week, I, I, I got to this place in the same area of scripture we were studying in today and I got to the seventh verse of the second chapter and I read this. Listen to who you guys are here. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples. As examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all He has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? 
God looks down, points at you guys and goes, look at them. Look at them. Look at the example of my grace and my mercy. Looking out at all of heaven, looking at all of everything and going, look at my people. Look at my children as an example of his grace. Now, if that doesn't make you smile, folks, if that doesn't make you go, can I even be so bold and say God's bragging on us? I mean, remember the book of Job? The devil shows up. God goes, have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen him? The devil says, take this from him, touch that to him. He won't worship you anymore. Bang, he worships him. Bang, he worships God. Bang. Have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen my servant Tom? Have 